Hey everybody, hope you're okay and on this pretty Sunday. This is Elle from Offbeat Cryptids. And today we are going to uh, do Chapter 5, The Oasis, The White Mountain Bigfoot by Bobby Clark. The red hot sun was setting over the reds, browns, grays, and greens of the White Mountains before the Apache kids had finally grown tired of tormenting Echo. Lone Wolf had come out of one of the teepees and untied her, taking her inside a smaller teepee in the center of the circle. Once again, I had to caution the impatient Zacchaeus to wait. He was growing tired of the waiting and angry at the treatment his sister was receiving while he sat helplessly by and I could not blame him. I was not sure that he understood the need to wait or not. It would have been suicide to go into the village right now. I had counted about 15 braves during the day and a war party of seven more rode in just before dark with some captives. It looked like a couple of kids, a girl and a boy. I guessed them to be aged about five and seven. I had also seen a number of mongrel dogs wandering around camp during the day and knew we had to be careful to stay downwind or one of them were likely to smell us. The place we had chosen to watch from was high up on the hillside where I hoped the dogs would not smell us and we could watch without being seen. We would have to move quietly into the camp and try to steal her away sometime during the night. I was not at all sure we, we would make it out alive. The moon was full tonight, but would be setting around 3 a.m. That would be the time to make our move. We would try to sneak in and rescue her then. I tried to tell Zach as my plans through sign language. He seemed to understand and laying down in the sand was asleep in seconds. I had almost dozed off when I sensed movement nearby. It was more of a sixth sense than anything. I reached out slowly and touched Zacchaeus. He was instantly awake, but unmoving. I pointed at my ear, then cupped it like I was listening. He understood and began quietly sniffing the air. Holding up three, then four fingers, he shrugged, then pointed to the dry wash we had come up about five yards away. So we had been seen after all, and they were coming for us. Pulling my knife, I waited. Zacchaeus had faded back into the shadows under the manzanita brush. I could barely see him, but I knew he would be ready. Suddenly, a shadow moved near me, too near. I swung the knife in a slashing arc into the shadow and felt it sink to the hilt into the ribs of one of the attackers. 
He grunted and struggled briefly before falling to the ground. There is no time to check on him, though, because the others were on us like wraths, wraiths rising up out of the shadows. Silent and deadly, I had not seen anyone leave the camp, so this must have been a similar war party or some hunters that had stumbled onto us while returning to the village. <clears throat> Zacchaeus was like a madman. Picking the first one up over his head, he threw him bodily onto a large boulder with such force that I was sure the attacker was dead. Grabbing the second one in a vice-like grip, he placed his huge hand on the attacker's head and twisted until there was the sound of crunching bones. I had no more time to watch since the fourth attacker was closing in from behind Zacchaeus with plans to sink the raised tomahawk into the back of Zacchaeus's head. Lunging forward in a dive, I struck the fourth attacker with my right shoulder about waist high. We both crashed to the ground, rolling over and over, each struggling for the upper hand. We came to a stop against a boulder with him on top. His tomahawk raised for a killing blow. Arching my back, I threw him over my head and struck upward with my knife at the same time, sinking it to the hilt in his exposed belly. Hot blood cascaded over my hand, causing me to lose my grip on my knife. Instantly, I was on top of him, striking him with a rock on the top of the head. The whole thing was over within less than a minute of starting. A dog was barking in the camp. Had they heard the brief but deadly struggle? Breathing heavily, I stood there listening. I heard an angry voice shouting at the dog to be quiet. I cleaned the blood from my knife after retrieving it by rubbing sand all over it. The same technique worked on my hands. I did not like killing, but liked the idea of being killed even less. Suddenly, I noticed movement in the camp. Several warriors were leading about ten horses into camp. Lone Wolf came from his teepee and went to the small teepee in the center where Echo and the two captive kids were being kept. Leading them out, he placed them each on the back of a horse. Each one was in front of a mounted brave. They were leaving. The group mounted up with Echo riding in front of Lone Wolf. They headed south. South, Mexico, I had a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. How were we ever going to rescue her now? And what about the other captives? They were on their way to Mexico to sell the kids as slaves. I could not let that happen. Zacchaeus was watching with a look of anger. A low growl escaped from deep within his massive chest. 
Young he might be, but I pitied anyone that got in his way. I knew now that I needed him as much as he needed me. This was not going to be easy, but we had to try. Dragging the bodies carefully to the edge of the wash, we dropped them in as quietly as possible and caved dirt over the bodies. <coughs> Excuse me. It would only buy us a little time. A day, maybe two, before they were discovered. Then not only would we have to worry about those we were pursuing, but also being pursued. We would be lucky to make it back alive if we left now and got out of there. But I knew I was not going to do that. I had never been accused of being real smart, but this cinched it. No one in their right mind would do what we were about to do. The group had left the camp and was out of sight. I tightened the cinch on Blackie and we headed out, skirting wide around the camp, coming back to the trail about a mile south of it. In the dark, I could see only the faintest occasional track in the deep sand between the rocks and bushes, but I knew we were on the trail by the way Zacchaeus had picked up the scent. I was not worried about an ambush yet. The band would not expect anyone to be following them so close to the camp. But I also did not want to come up on them unexpected in the dark. Trusting to Zacchaeus's nose, I followed as he trotted tirelessly on toward our destiny. About 10 a.m. the next morning, Zacchaeus suddenly turned off of the trail and headed down into a sandy wash. Twisting and turning, we followed the wash down through boulders and broken country for about a quarter mile. Suddenly, Blackie perked up and quickened his pace. He smelled water. Rounding the corner where a crack, there was a crack in a rock in the side of the mountain that had a small trickle of water seeping out and forming a small pool at the base of the rock before disappearing into the sand. I wondered how Zacchaeus knew of yet another spring that I had heard nothing about. I was just grateful that he did. Refilling my canteen and a second one I had brought for Zacchaeus, I drank, then watered Blackie. We would stay here in the shade and rest for a few hours before continuing on. I was sure we were only a couple of hours behind. My mind was still wrestling with the problem of how to get the captives back. Dozing off and on, we drank as often as possible and rested through the heat of the day before continuing on. For five days, we trailed Lone Wolf and the captives south. They were pushing hard, and they were all mounted. Even with Zacchaeus's great strength and youth, it was all we could do to keep up with them. 
On the fifth day, we crossed over the border into Mexico. We were exhausted and hungry, but we were not ready to give up. That night when the Indians made camp, we were in a really broken country. Lone Wolf had camped on the banks of the San Pedro River and made camp as if they were planning to stay a while. I lay next to Zacchaeus, high on a bluff overlooking the camp. Maybe we could sneak into camp and rescue the kids tonight. We would need horses as well. There was no way we were going to be able to get away from a band of bloodthirsty renegade Apache warriors on foot with three kids. Without horses, or for that matter, with horses. The thought of not trying to rescue the two kids as well as Echo had not even crossed my mind. I was beginning to think there was a, this was a suicide mission. Why were they camping here like they were planning to stay a while or meet someone? Suddenly, I went cold inside. They were waiting on a group of outlaw slave traders that roamed the border. I had heard of them on several occasions, buying captured women and kids and selling them down in Mexico never to be seen or heard from again. I had no idea how long we had before the bandits showed up. There were just too many warriors to ride in and start shooting. If I started shooting from up here on the hill, they would instantly kill the captives before disappearing like smoke into the desert. There was just no good way to rescue the kids and get them back alive. Another thought occurred to me. We had not seen anyone following us and we had stopped often to study our back trail. Unfortunately, when this band of Indians returned, they would put, they would spot our tracks and turn around looking for us unless they returned by a different route. I was still concerned about more warriors coming up behind us from the village after discovering the bodies we left in the wash. As we watched, the night guards moved out into the rocks to take up their positions. Try as I might, I could not think of a good way to rescue the captives. Zacca seemed just as unsure of what to do. So we just watched as the camp settled down and went to sleep. We went back to the draw where Blackie was picketed and made a dry camp. We ate the last of the jerky and washed it down with warm water from our canteens. At daylight, we were back on the bluff watching as the camp woke up. We still had no plan. Shortly after daylight, two braves mounted and rode out of camp to the southeast. Maybe this was our chance. We kept watching the camp, but Lone Wolf never gave us the chance to rescue the captives. Early afternoon, we saw a dust cloud coming closer in the direction the two braves had ridden. 
As we watched, four braves took up ambush positions around the camp. But they were facing... They were facing in. They were expecting someone, and soon. Within the hour, the two braves returned, but this time there were seven more riders with them. They rode splendid animals, bred for speed and power. One of the riders rode a little ahead of the others. He was on a beautiful red stallion with three white stockings. I noticed one of the horses was being led by one of the riders. The rider on the horse that was being led had both hands on the pommel. Taking my spyglass out of my saddlebag that I had taken off of a dead Union Army captain during the war, I looked closer. Sure enough, the rider's hands were tied in the saddle. He was a slim youth with loose-fitting clothing and a large hat that hid most of his face. Even in this condition, I could see that he rode sitting straight in the saddle, defiance in every line of his body. The group slowed to a dusty stop on the east side of the river before splashing across and riding into camp. The leader was a well-dressed Mexican with a white, loose-fitting shirt, skin-tight black pants down to the knees where they flared widely down over polished black boots as was the style among well-to-do Mexican dandies of the day. He had two pistols that I could see, tucked behind a red sash. At a wave of his hand, One of his men dismounted and brought a folding chair forward and placed it near the fire. Red Sash sat down and began talking to Lone Wolf. It was obvious they were dickering over the boy and girl. Lone Wolf paraded the children around like you would be a horse. Echo was nowhere to be seen. I suspected she was being hidden until the day was made on the two white children, until the deal was made on the two white children. After about an hour, a deal was apparently struck, and Red Sash got up as though to leave. Lone Wolf held up his hand and barked an order. A brave led Echo out and walked her around the the fire in a circle. There was an excited murmur from the Mexicans as they stared in disbelief. Red Sash waved the brave holding the rope that was tied around Echo's neck over to him. He poked and prodded Echo, turning her around several times to get a good look at her. Echo looked scared and tired. I was mad clean through. Zacchaeus growled deep and low. The fire in his eyes said that he wanted to tear those men to pieces and beat them with their own limbs. But we just laid there watching, daring not to move for fear of being seen and the captives being killed for our carelessness. 
It took two more hours of vigorous arguing before a deal was struck. Red Sash and his men rode away, taking their captive with them. The four ambushers came out of hiding and settled down with the rest of the group to wait. We had to do something, and soon, or we would lose our chance. I decided we would have to make our move tonight, or we would not likely get another chance. (coughs) Maybe we could steal some of the horses and make a run for it. As if Lone Wolf had read my mind, he barked an order and two braves went out and gathered the picketed horses, bringing them in and bunching them in a small box canyon behind the camp with two guards posted at the opening. Just when I thought it could not get much worse, Red Sash and his men came thundering back across the desert, pushing 20 head of good riding stock ahead of them. So the price for the two kids and Echo was 20 horses. Lone Wolf walked out and inspected them. Apparently satisfied, he nodded and waved at a brave who led the three captives out and handed them up one by one in front of a mounted bandit. Just like that, they were riding away across the desert My heart sank. They were gone. We had failed. Okay, guys. That's it. Um, I hate to tell you this, but that's it for the book. Uh, um, I know I want to see what happens next, so I'm going to have to buy the book on Amazon or somewhere. And it is called The Oasis, The White Mountain Bigfoot, Volume 1 by Bobby Clark. Just stop in and look on Amazon and there's actually two books. Okay guys, starting tomorrow I'm going to read you something really exciting about Bigfoot in the 1800s and uh, I really need you guys to write in, email me and give me your personal experiences that you've had with Bigfoot or any other cryptid and, uh, you know, paranormal, Sasquatch, Dogman, whatever, UFOs. And uh, if you don't have any personal experiences like me, I don't have any um, of my own. So you can write a story, that would be great. And I'll read it. Just email it to me at offbeatcryptid at gmail.com. Okay, thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hey, guys. L here from Offbeat Cryptid. Uh, um, if you're lo- looking for a, a place to do your podcasting, You should really try Anchor out. It is really easy. At first I was intimidated, but no need to be. It's very easy, uh, very fast. You can edit. Um, It is just 
perfect. You can use your phone. Um, you can just wrap it up all in one spot, and it, it's fantastic. I love it. Okay, thanks for listening.